Hi and welcome. Today we are going to be re-listening and revisiting one of the my favorite podcast episodes of 2023, My Testimony. I hope you enjoy. Hi there and welcome to Proverbs 31, One of Me, where we discuss biblical womanhood and our constantly busy and sometimes crazy daily life. I'm Alexis Heeslip, and as a wife and mother of two, I am always striving and praying to be a Proverbs 31 woman of faith. Since this first podcast episode of the new year is airing, I wanted to start off with something personal and deep, my testimony. I want to advise that my testimony has some subjects that might not be suitable for children, so if there are little ones with you, I would click away and listen later. I am going to be extremely vulnerable, brutally honest, and share with you how God moved in extraordinary ways in my life. So what better place to start than how I grew up? Let's dive on in. My childhood took place in Virginia Beach, a town full of sand, sun, and tourists that don't know how to drive in the summer. Don't even get me started on that. The cul-de-sac where my parents still live is nice and quiet. The neighbors are like family, and the fun is endless. Bike rides to the bay, tubing on the lake, and weekend gatherings were the norm. I grew up in a Catholic home with parents and grandparents that loved God, loved going to church, and were involved in the community. I went to Catholic school for eight years, ugly uniforms and all. Yes, I had those plaid skirts with the knee-high green tights to match. And I still have fond memories of some sassy nuns and priests who are some of the kindest and most loving people you could have met. Although I had grown up in this environment, reading the Bible was something that was not consistently part of my family life, and personal prayer wasn't something that we really talked about often as a family. Nothing against my parents at all. They both love God and walk in their faith, but praying was something that just wasn't modeled very well in the home. One thing that was a big deal in my house growing up was that from a small age, I was told that God is the creator of everything. We are his children. And because Jesus died on the cross for everyone, we need to respect life at all stages from womb to tomb. Year after year, we would go to the March for Life in D.C. to rally against abortion. We would go to prayer rallies in front of Planned Parenthood and pray for an end to abortion. And my parents instilled in my heart the privilege we have to be able to voice our beliefs by voting for people who love life at all stages. This is extremely important to remember for later on in my testimony. When I was in the eighth grade, I applied for the Legal Studies Academy, a public school program that Virginia Beach Schools has that focuses on the legal system and the curriculum. I got in and my freshman year started with Intro to Law. The next four years were a whirlwind. I was a shy child and in this program, I found my voice. I was forced to defend why I believe what I believed. I took legal oratory and debate, criminal law, ethics and law, and all of these different classes culminated in a senior project where we had to choose an issue 
write a legal research paper on it, do a project for the community related to the subject, and defend our project in front of a panel of judges. If you haven't guessed what my topic was by now, I chose the topic of the constitutionality of abortion in the United States and argued why abortion is a violation of the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution. I spent a year of my life researching, writing, holding a diaper drive for a pregnancy center, and defending in front of a panel this work. And yet none of that seemed to stick in my brain once college hit. I thought I was strong in my faith. School always came easy to me, so I thought college would be easy. But boy, did life take a left turn and change everything forever. First semester was going to a great start. I had my first boyfriend. I was getting A's in all of my classes. I even joined a sorority, which is something I never thought I would do in my life. I was finding a group of friends and I even joined the Catholic campus ministry, which was so wonderful. But things changed that December when my mom called me as I was studying for my finals, crying and saying that my grandfather was dying and that the doctors were saying that they might have to cut his leg off. I knew my grandfather's health had been de declining and decaying. And looking back at it now, I see where it was more obvious than what I was willing to admit at 18 years old. But my immature self was in denial until I got home after my finals. My grandfather passed away on December 21st of 2015. His viewing was the next day. His funeral was December 23rd, and then Christmas Eve and Christmas hit. I was nowhere near emotionally prepared for this moment. My grandfather and I had always been close. He had always been a rock in my life that was strong, full of love, and he was a big part of my day-to-day -day life since he lived so close to our house. To say that I was devastated was an understatement. This was the first time that I had lost someone so close to me as a young adult. My grandmother died when I was really young, so the impact was not as strong as when my grandfather passed away. I was sad, in a vulnerable state, and because I did not have a strong personal relationship with my creator like I thought I had, I turned to other things to run away from the pain of loss. The spring semester, I started partying hard. I lost my virginity to my then boyfriend and two months later got broken up. I was drinking a lot and because of these habits, I failed a class. Instead of owning up to my mistakes, I lied to my mom about my grades. Nobody knew how much I was struggling. I didn't ask God for help. I didn't ask anybody for help. I thought I could fix it all on my own. And I wish I could say that the next year changed and everything got better. But then I wouldn't be telling you the truth. Whew, sophomore year. Sophomore year was a complete and utter disaster with a sprinkle, a small sprinkle of hope. 
The fraternity parties started on Thursday nights, and they went Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. I would party all of those days, and I would drink. I would have sex with whoever would take me, and I was completely bombing in my classes. But because I kept lying to the whole world that I was okay, nobody knew how much I was really struggling. Even though I would party all weekend, I felt so guilty about the way I was acting that I would still go to church on Sundays. Even though I wouldn't even open up to God about it, I'd still go to church because of the guilt. I just wanted to forget the pain of loss, and I hated myself for the way I was acting, but I didn't stop. Looking back now, I was obviously depressed, but I would have never ever said that back then because I was in denial. Although I was going through the beginning of the ringer, I see how God had placed people in my life that were going to be there for me once I was ready to reach out. I can see now how he placed these people in my life for such a time as this. And I see that he prepared my heart to love life at all stages. I knew that my family loved me, even though I wasn't truthful and I knew that I was going to hurt them when the truth came out. I knew deep down inside God loved me, but I was not ready to face him yet either. I wish I was ready at that point, but I wasn't. I was about to experience a true trial by fire. My partying caught up to me one night, and actions have consequences. Sometimes the consequences are out of your control, though, and this is what happened with me. I was at a party with people who I thought were my friends, people who I hung out with all the time, people who I thought would never do anything harmful to me. I had heard about girls getting sexually assaulted at parties, but that is something that I thought could never happen to me but it turns out I was wrong. I was drugged, sexually assaulted, and then made to feel like that was normal, that he did nothing wrong. And you know what? This didn't just happen once, it happened twice and by the same person. A person who I thought was my friend. I thank the Lord every day that not once Did I ever end up with an STI or getting pregnant by the person who sexually assaulted me? Because honestly, if that would have happened at this time, I don't know what I would have done. Did I tell anybody what happened? No. Just like with my grief, I tried to bury it. I somehow got in my mind that the only way to reclaim my body is by having sex with other people to feel something besides pain and to show that I am in charge of my own body. Spoiler alert, that did not work. It just made things 10 times worse. All through this madness and depression, and frankly, Satan attacking me at my very core, there were a couple of constant people in my life, my best friend Rachel and Mac, my future husband. Even through all this mess, they stood by my side. For some crazy reason, 
They didn't walk away when I was throwing up in the toilet, when I was crying myself to sleep at night, or when I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. God placed them in my life to remind me that I am loved, even though I did not feel worthy. And for some crazy reason, Mac really, really liked me, and he wanted to date me. He knew all the things that I've done and all the things that I've been through, but he did not care. He loved me for me. And we started dating in the spring semester of sophomore year. Because of all the brokenness that I had carried, our relationship was not one that was filled with biblical backing or guidance from the Lord. We had premarital sex. We both failed on that. And because I was so embarrassed and felt guilty about being sexually active, I was never on birth control at all. And God used this as an opportunity to grab me by the hand and say, turn to me. This is where the crossroads happen. I didn't even know that something was different. All I thought was that I got sick from the foe that I had eaten the afternoon my parents came to help me move out of my dorm. But my mom said she knew. She said she knew right away. She said the Holy Spirit put it on her heart, and she knew that I was pregnant before I even knew. She sat me down at home and gave me a pregnancy test. I told her she was absolutely crazy and out of her mind. But it turns out, like most moms in most instances, she was right. At 20 years old, I was pregnant, and my mom told me I had three options to choose from. Abortion, adoption, or keep the child. She said it was up to me and that she will support me in any decision that I make. She hadn't told my dad yet. I hadn't talked to Mac and I felt like I was drowning. Remember how I said that my senior project and how I was raised would come back around? Well, here it is. Everything I stood for, even though I had fallen so hard, was being tested at this very moment. What was I going to do? For just one split second, I thought about the unthinkable, an abortion. But then I thought about scripture, something I have not done for a very long time. The scripture was Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 that came to my mind, which says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You saw me before I was even born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I immediately felt ashamed, and I also knew that I was going to keep this baby. The next nine months were an emotional roller coaster. I went on a trip to Israel that summer only because it was already paid for, and my mom told me she needed a break from me, which I totally understand. The trip was what saved me from complete despair, 
and it helped me realize that maybe God won't hate me after all if I ask for some help. I really got a better understanding on how Mary, the mother of Jesus, probably felt when she was pregnant with our Lord and scared. But my faith was still shaken, and I still struggled after that trip. The people who I thought were my friends dropped me like a hot potato. I still hadn't come clean about my grades, and I know that there was anger, sadness, confusion, and disappointment that presented itself and resentment and sometimes rage from my parents. Mac got the same emotions from his parents, understandably so, and we struggled to wrap our brains around the fact that we were going to be parents in less than a year. Because of all the anxiety I had, I was so sick during the entire pregnancy. I threw up all the time, and I didn't have many people to turn to without feeling guilty because even my family was not happy with me. At eight months pregnant, Mac and I got married. And with a healthy pregnancy, other than the terrible morning sickness, our son Luke was born a day before his due date. He came quickly. I did it all natural, and it was painful. I wish I could say that giving birth is what changed my heart, but I still needed more molding by God's hands before I could be reshaped. I still hadn't dealt with the trauma of being sexually assaulted. I still hadn't come clean about my grades, and the emotions and hormones that are involved in the postpartum period mixed in with getting on birth control for the first time drove me to a deep, deep depression where I ended up wanting to take my own life. I don't even remember the first few months of Luke's life because I was so depressed and just wanted to give up on everything. I wanted everything to just stop. After Mac begging for help and my mom demanding answers from a heart of love and concern, I finally had had enough. I cried out to God in the form of painting. I may not be the best artist, but it's something that I've always enjoyed, even if it doesn't look super pretty. And that day I turned to painting. I put dark colors on the canvas, black and red and brown. And once they were dry, I wrote on top of the darkness that was expressing my feelings. And I wrote in bright yellow paint, Psalm 130 verses 1 through 2, which says, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I couldn't do it on my own anymore. I cried out to my God, my Redeemer, and begged him to take me home. And for the first time in years, although I knew it wasn't my time to go to the Lord, I felt a sense of peace. This was the turning point. This is where I started to truly put my trust and faith in Jesus. The next year was a hard one. I told my parents the truth about my grades. I started going to therapy with the Christian counselor. But even then, depression and Satan were fighting to keep me down. At one point, I backslid into lying, and for a little while, my grades were just trash even more. 
My therapist finally helped me to have the courage and find the words to tell my mom and dad that I need to stop doing school because it was just too much. Even though I could see the disappointment in my mom's eyes, I know that she knew it was what I needed. My husband finished his undergraduate degree a semester early, which was no easy thing to do with a baby. And once he was done, we moved out of our one bedroom apartment and into my grandparents' old house in southeastern Virginia to be closer to family. This was the biggest gift from the Lord at this time. Slowly and surely, my relationships with my family, God, and others grew, and I felt alive again. I started praying consistently. I was honest with myself, with God, with my spouse, and my parents. Although life was difficult, I knew that I had a Redeemer and his name was Jesus. July of 2019 came, and my husband wanted to check out a church, a Baptist church, since he didn't grow up Catholic. And although we'd been going to the Catholic church for a while now, as a family, he felt like it might not be the best fit. My mom grew up Southern Baptist, and I had no objection because I felt like as long as the church was teaching from the Bible— the differences in traditions, does it really matter? Overall, no. I know many people will disagree with that statement, but that's just how I feel. So, Mac went, and I am so grateful that God placed this on my husband's heart. And he checked out this church, and he fell in love with it. I was out of town visiting family So I didn't get to go with him the first time. But when we got home from my trip, we checked out the church as a family. And boy, oh boy, did the Lord put amazing people in our life. We still go to that church to this day. And through the relationships I have built in this community, I have grown into the woman I am now. One that truly knows that I cannot live without relying on God alone. I have a support system of wonderful people. The women in my mom group, my husband, my parents, and the sassy older ladies in the choir at church who dote on my children. And yes, I said that correctly. We have now another child, our daughter, and she is one and just our little sunshine. Although we still have our struggles, God is there through it all. I am not depressed anymore. I have a personal relationship with God. I want to talk to him every single day and read his word. I want him to walk with me on my journey as a mom, wife, and parent. I have forgiven myself for not realizing that I need God and that I couldn't do it alone. I have forgiven in my heart the person who assaulted me, and because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, I am not a victim of sin and death. I am free. Thank the Lord that he has given us room for error. I don't know what I would have done without the mercy of God. 
I pray that if you are struggling with finding hope, that you see my testimony as a message of strength, a message of assurance, and a message that points you to Jesus. If you are like me and have ever felt or are feeling suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 for free help. Again, that is 988. If you just take that first step, it'll be life-changing. My prayer is that you realize your own worth. God made you by hand, and he loves you. You are his. He wants you to rest in him. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and compassion. Amen. Thanks to listening to Proverbs 31 Wannabe. We hope you have enjoyed the program. If you enjoyed our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to come back next week as we take a look about why a Proverbs 31 wannabe woman stands for life. Until then, this is Alexis Heeslip, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. God bless. God bless.